Kia ora. It's Bernard Hickey here. <laughs> Quite late um, chorus for today on the kaka. Um, I decided to take some time and have a really good look through the Reserve Bank's documents uh, proposing its debt-to-income tool and getting permission from the government, uh, at least for now. The Reserve Bank uh, has come out with a whole bunch of analysis and modelling showing, it says, that it thinks a debt-to-income limit of six or seven uh, would mostly affect landlords and not first home buyers. This is a bit of a surprise because remember the Reserve Bank tried to get a debt to income tool through in 2017 when Bill English was the Prime Minister and he rejected it. Now that's because uh, they had they got burnt, politically at least, by Graham Wheeler, the previous Reserve Bank Governor's uh, decision to drive through a loan-to-value ratio uh, limit in 2013, that initial limit was quite blunt and it really hit everyone equally. Over time, that was fine-tuned and honed into a carefully designed anti-landlord device, uh, which was somewhat effective, at least until it was removed completely for six months or so during COVID. And uh, the government, the Labour government, has also been sceptical about a DTI or debt-to-income limit. And that's because a lot of first-home buyers, you know, they, they are borrowing at quite high debt-to-income limits. While the Reserve Bank has taken a good look at the figures and worked out that if it was a limit at seven times income, that it would mostly affect landlords because they're the ones doing the most of the high, very high debt to income uh, uh, borrowing. And of course, um, this doesn't take into account exemptions for new builds and the like. So the Reserve Bank for now does have permission from the government to move ahead with a DTI tool. They haven't made the final decision to actually apply it yet, and they haven't told us which level they would use. Reading between the lines of the submissions, it looks like the Reserve Bank is going for a six or a seven i'd have to say if things weren't too crazy they'll probably go to start with uh, with a seven now when is the question uh they the reserve bank says it would take six months to get all their ducks in a row and uh, that's after they've done a consultation with the banks and uh, and everyone so i'd be really surprised to see any dti tool in place before the beginning of 2023 so what does that mean well, uh, if you're being a bit cynical and you're really convinced that house prices will just keep on going up, then um, the incentive is there now to rush in and get your high DTI lending before the boom comes down. And we have seen these rushes at the last minute before. It also depends on how convinced you are the Reserve Bank will actually go through with it and that the government will finally agree because... The formal Memorandum of Understanding hasn't actually been signed off yet by the government. And although the Reserve Bank says it's unlikely to hit first home buyers hard, I'm guessing in the minimum election year, the government would think twice before actually giving it the final green light. So a DTI tool is in the works. It's not there yet. It probably won't be there until 2023. If it is, it'll be at a level of seven times income, I suspect. And the Reserve Bank's own forecasts show that um, uh, that wouldn't do much to drive down house prices uh, or house sales volumes. The Reserve Bank reckons a level of six 
would maybe drive down house prices 2 or 3%. Got to remember, house prices have risen 30% in the last year, so that's not going to hurt too many people very much at all. Uh, you may ask, um, well, uh, why couldn't the Reserve Bank and the government use the DTI tool, maybe apply a, a level of something like 45 or 35 which is where the Irish and British uh, DTI limits are at? Why couldn't they use that to drive house prices down? Well, the guts of it is neither the Reserve Bank or the government want to drive house prices down. Even though house prices are up 30%, and if they were driven back down 30%, we'd be right back to where we were in May last year. That's because the government knows that even a 30% fall from here back to where it was in May would be politically unpopular with median voters. So these are people in the suburbs, typically a bit older. They own their own home. They might have one other home. It doesn't have to be many of them. The way that MMP works, in fact, most um, democracies work, it really is those relatively small number of people in the middle who jump from one side to the other. And they typically are older, older homeowners. They vote at high rates. And they love their suburban house and often have built their small businesses uh, off the back of that suburban house. It's a great system. And they don't want to give it up. And that's why for the last... Um, Four elections, they've said no to a capital gains tax. It's why the Prime Minister has said she won't do a capital gains tax in her lifetime and has ruled out a wealth tax in the current term to 2023. Uh, and remember, the Prime Minister is only 40, uh, so she'd have to go very quickly if we were going to get anything like a capital gains tax uh, or a wealth tax, and you'd have an almighty political fight to get a wealth tax through any sort of land tax or a capital gains tax of any sort. Of sort, any sort. That also means that uh, so the government doesn't want to push down prices. And remember, the Prime Minister said at the end of last year that her role, she saw it, was to protect the main asset of um, New Zealanders, which in her view was the main uh, household asset of the house. Uh, and that's true. More than 60% of New Zealanders still own their own homes. And yes, the value of those houses has risen sharply. In fact, up. 319 billion dollars since may last year uh, that's the increase in equity and uh, the other reason you're unlikely to see either the reserve bank or the government uh, use this tool to drive down house prices is that politically it's um, impossible for the government but b um, the reserve bank uh, doesn't want to do it either and there's a couple of reasons for that a it doesn't have to think about uh, housing affordability uh, you may think it does but uh, just quietly, at the end of last year, the government tried to insert an affordability mandate into the Reserve Bank's operation of monetary policy and financial policy. But the Reserve Bank came back and said, uh, hey, um, that's a bit specific and uh, might force us to you know, look at things like uh, house price to income multiples or the share of uh, disposable income used to service a mortgage or rent. And that is difficult for us. How about we change it to the word sustainable? And uh, lo and behold, we now have a mandate for sustainable house prices. Now that's a different thing, as the Reserve Bank pointed out in its documents yesterday. Uh, you can have unaffordable housing, which is sustainable. And that's the judgment of the Reserve Bank, that where we are now is not a bubble. It's driven by underlying structural factors, such as falling interest rates, 
uh, um, relatively slow house building, restrictions on land supply, and uh, of course the tax advantages of uh, owning a home. So the Reserve Bank says, well, it might be unaffordable, but it's sustainably unaffordable. And uh, there we are, the Reserve Bank doesn't want to drive down house prices. Now it could, um, a lot of people say, oh, we couldn't have a 30% fall in house prices because the banks would collapse. Well, that's actually not true. Uh, if you look at the Reserve Bank's latest stress testing on the banks, which was done in May last year in the midst of COVID, they modelled out what a 50% fall in house prices and a near 18% unemployment rate and a near 18% fall in GDP would do to the bank's balance sheet. So how many people would go broke? How many couldn't afford their mortgages? How big would the losses for the banks be? And they did the modelling and worked out the banks could handle it just if it was a 50% fall. A 37% fall, remember this is from May last year levels, and the banks would be just fine. In fact, some of them would still be profitable uh, for two or three years after the shock. Uh, so if you saw a 50% fall from these levels, no worries at all. The banks are perfectly fine. And remember, a lot of those homeowners now have an extra $318 billion in equity to fall back on. And secondly, uh, they're not stressed at all in terms of how much they're paying in mortgages. A lot of people say, oh, the debt's incredibly high. As soon as interest rates go up or there's some shock in the housing market, so many people will default on their mortgages and we'll all be in trouble. Well, actually, that's not true either because uh, the Reserve Bank figures show that the average disposable income, the share of disposable income used to pay mortgages on houses is six, sorry, 5.8%. That's a record low in New Zealand. So no worries there in terms of um, the stress on the banks. So neither the government nor the Reserve Bank want to use a DTI tool to force the issue on making housing affordable. The Prime Minister has said she thinks sustainable house price inflation is around about 4% per year. That would mean you wouldn't see an improvement in affordability very quickly. In fact, given... Uh, um, household income is rising at about 5%. If you saw income rising at 5% and house prices rising at 4, 4%, it would take 50 to 100 years before we got affordability back to the level it was levels that were at in the early 2000s. So we're not going to have affordable housing anytime soon given the current policy settings and um, that's where we are. The other big news this morning is the US Federal Reserve. I love myself a good dot plot. And today the Federal Open Markets Committee, which is the monetary policy committee for the world's biggest central bank, came out with its view on where it sees inflation and interest rates and the economy. It says that the COVID vaccination efforts in America have made the economy healthier. More people are out there spending money, and so the economy is going to grow more than 5% in the next year or so. Inflation is going to pick up a bit, it says, but it still thinks it's temporary. And uh, that's why the US Federal Reserve's FOMC, the committee, the dot plot, which is each dot is where one of those members thinks the uh, federal funds rate, which is the American version of the official cash rate, will be at a certain forward point in time. So the last dot plot in May, the FOMC was saying we're going to keep interest rates near zero until 2024. Remember, you know, that's three years away. Well, since then, inflation pressures have picked up a bit, the economy's looking better. So the FOMC is saying, yeah, well, when I said 2024, I actually think now it's more like 2023. 
So it's still two years away, and then not much of an increase in the federal funds rate. The Fed chair, Jerome Powell, came out this morning and really downplayed the idea there would be rate hikes anytime soon. He said you had to take the dot plot with a grain of salt, uh, lots of dots and grains all over the place. And uh, he also said, uh, you know, we're not even talking about what's called tapering, i.e. reducing the amount of bond buying or money printing that the US Federal Reserve does. Quantitative easing and tapering is quite a sensitive issue. In 2013, for example, the Fed, then under um, Janet Yellen and uh, Ben Bernanke, from memory, were uh, talking about uh, tapering, i.e. reducing the amount of money printing, and that caused the stock markets and the bond markets to get in a real um, tiz, and the uh, Federal Reserve very quickly backed off this talk of tapering. It's now known as the taper tantrum. Well, uh, we heard Jerome Powell say this morning that this meeting wasn't a meeting to talk about tapering. It was a meeting to have talking about talking about tapering. So they're a long way away from it. And he said really that the US Federal Reserve wants to see the inflation be more than permanent and significantly above 2% before they really start to pull the trigger on interest rate increases. And so that's why you did see a slight increase in government bond yields in America and a slight fall in the stock market, half a percent. But, you know, it's real margin of error stuff given the rallies we've seen in the last um, decade or two. So um, big picture, not much change in the official outlook for interest rates from the world's central banks other than it's going to be maybe a year earlier than we thought, but that's still two years away. That's the big news um, on the interest rates and housing front, although it's worth having a look at what's happening in Wellington at the moment. Uh, I'm in Wellington, and it's an interesting test case of how broken our system is for investing uh, in infrastructure. Massive uh, water bills look like they're coming down the track up to $500,000 per household. Again, because an entire generation of politicians and voters decided not to invest and reinvest in our water networks. Um, they claimed the depreciation, and but just didn't invest the money. So that's a problem. Also, the buses. Um, the regional council here says they're looking to take control of the buses again, having contracted out for the last eight years or so. Uh, that's fair enough, but again, reinforces the problems we have where... The government and local government have spent 30 years trying not to invest in public infrastructure to ensure there was a small size of government and that rates, bills and taxes were low. And the end result is an infrastructure shortage, particularly after you've had a massive population growth. And so the stress is really on on in, in Wellington. And unfortunately, the government is not stepping up to help much at all, to the point where Waka Kotahi NZTA has actually told all the councils that there's going to be $400 million less in the kitty for road maintenance and road building. Now that has flow on effects because typically they invest 50-50 in building roads. So that means actually $800 million less in road building and maintenance. And of course that means if you're a developer, that means the road you thought was going to be there is not going to be there, which means you're not going to build those houses. And yet again, we have a problem where because the government is choosing not to use its balance sheet to solve some of these housing affordability and climate change infrastructure problems. 
Uh, we're not spending the money we need to spend to actually deal with these problems. Even though interest rates remain at record lows and are likely to stay there for quite some time. That's why it's a slightly later dawn chorus this morning, uh, because I've been looking at those two issues and have been having such fun. Not much fun though if you are a, a renter and thinking about buying a house. Uh, the news today uh, out of the Fed and out of the Reserve Bank are likely to mean housing remains unaffordable, interest rates remain low and the housing supply that's needed to try and get housing affordable again is not coming. Sorry to pass that on. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was a slightly longer and slightly later dawn chorus than usual on the kaka. Kia ora and kakite anō.